Amen. Hope College, you can be seated. Give it up for the worship team. Uh, also, if you are a man at Hope College, college student, stand up. Stand up. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Y'all real slow. Stand up. Stand up. <laughs> Initiative. This is the first thing. Stand up. All right. If you are a man at Hope College, we have Man Camp, Tucker Marty, and uh, Kaltoff, Andrew Kaltoff are the organizers of that. So spread the word. It is um, Friday, April 12th, 4 o'clock, meet at the Keppel House, and you can learn about what it means to be a man of God. All right, you can be seated. Be seated. So our guest preacher this morning is Ebony Small. Say hello to her. <laughs> Ebony is coming to us from New York City, where it's a lot busier than it is in Holland, Michigan. And uh, she's an elder at her longtime church, Bethel Gospel Assembly. She also works at an organization called Movement.org. And one of its sort of subsidiaries is Movement Day, which is um, an organization that many people here in Holland and Hope College are familiar with. So give it up for Ebony as she brings the word this morning. Thank you so much, James. And good morning, everybody. I think some of y'all were missing last night watching that Michigan State game, but it's good to see you guys today. Um, we're going to go straight to the Word of God this morning. It's such a privilege and honor to be here with you. Uh, this is my first time to Holland, Michigan, and so it's excited to, I'm excited uh, to be here, but grateful, more grateful to be with each of you. We're going to go straight to the Word of God this morning, so if you have your Bible on your phones or right in front of you, feel free to turn with me. We're going to look at the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. And I'm going to read for us from the New Living Translation. Is that all right? All right. So the word of God says this, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. The topic we're going to share from this morning is what's in your lamp. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so grateful for the opportunity to share your word today. We know that your word is active, it's powerful, it's alive, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it has come to pierce both bone and marrow, but God has come to pierce our hearts. So Father, as we are gathered in this place, we pray that your Holy Spirit would reign amongst us. We thank you for your angels that are on assignment today, charged with revelation, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, that we might grow in all matter of stature and wisdom with you. We thank you for this time of sharing that we get to enter into now, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior at the age of 11. And between that time and from 11 till about 23 years old, I could pinpoint for you the scriptures that I didn't obey because I hadn't yet learned the truth of surrendering my life to the power and the authority of God's word. I was saved, but I would say of myself, I was dulled in my capacity to have a maturity in my faith. 
But at 23, I had a God encounter. I had recently graduated from the State University of New York at Binghamton. I was back home living in my parents' house, feeling very conflicted after having been on my own for four years and now under my mother's rules, which never seemed to end. Um, but I was feeling a lot of depression um, at that time and very uncertain about my life and my future. And I opened the word of God that day. I hadn't been fully acquainted with the scriptures, but I always knew that the red letters meant that Jesus was speaking. And I turned to Matthew 15, and I was just reading for the sake of reading, but then the Holy Spirit met me. And he drew my eyes to two verses within Matthew chapter 15, and they're found in verses 8 through 9. And they say this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And those words pierced my heart in a way that tears began to roll through my eyes. I wasn't in a church service. There was no organ. There was no worship leader. There was just me and the Holy Spirit. And he was undressing me in that moment. And I understood that God was describing the nature of my heart as far from him, but yet I was saved. But so in that moment, I asked God to draw my heart closer to his. I didn't know what that meant but I knew I didn't want to stay where I was. And I went on this two-year journey of trying to surrender my life to God and understand what that process of surrender really meant. And I wanted to get to church. And Sundays, I would struggle to get there. And then finally, about two years later, when I was 25, I made that decision to rededicate my life and give myself wholly to the work of the Lord. And it was only that process and during that process that the Holy Spirit allowed me to overcome those things and those battles that I was personally waging in in order to get to this place of surrender. So what is the job of the Holy Spirit? And I believe it is simply this, to mature the church to be able to inherit God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In many professions, as so many of you will find out when you graduate from college, you have to enter into recertification processes. If you're an accountant or maybe even doctors, they have to continue to go through trainings to show their superiors and those who they work with that they are still qualified to perform the service that they have signed up to do through their life. And I believe that the fundamentals of salvation, even within that, we can get sloppy in the mechanics of our faith. And God will send trials and tribulations to remind us that we haven't arrived, that we are not all that, that we still need the Holy Spirit, and that we still need God's power within our lives. The Holy Spirit makes us ready. We can't have access to the fullness of God apart from his spirit. The fullness of his peace tied to the ability to forgive and to release things that are in our heart. The fullness of the rest of God tied to our ability to obey. Entering to this place of rest where we understand that the Lord's peace is never far from us. Christ then becomes this open door to the fulfillment of perpetual covenant in our life. It becomes the job of the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk through the doors which God has opened. The parable that we just read in Luke chapter 12 and so many parables throughout scripture, I believe were given to us to teach us the currency of the kingdom of God, the currency of faith, of forgiveness, of peace, of rest, of direction. It's a different economy that we have been engrafted into as people of God. 
It's the Holy Spirit's job to be our teacher, to be our director, to be our discerner. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to empower us. In the book of Acts, it says that you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be God's witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to be our peace, the peace which surpasses all understanding when it feels like the cares of this life are raging all around us. It's the Spirit of God's job to be our authority. As children of God, we have authority over the prince of the power of this air and all that is within it. It is the Holy Spirit's job to be our deliverer, our way maker, and he is also the keeper of our soul. It's the job of the Holy Spirit that enables us to be godly and to inherit this kingdom of God that is found in his holy word. But there's only one way to inherit the kingdom, and that way is Jesus Christ himself. The Holy Spirit is our safety net, protecting us from missing the timetable of God's appearing, not just in the eternal sense of his appearing, but in the eternal and the perpetual manifestation of God's presence within you and with me day in and day out. So here's a question that I have learned to wrestle with in my faith journey, and it's simply this, how do I not miss God? So many people, and I can safe of myself from that period of age 11 to 23, I was missing God left and right, riding the wave of grace and mercy, playing Russian roulette with my eternity because I hadn't submitted myself to the authority of God's word. So how do we not miss God? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. In Matthew 25, we learn about the parable of the virgins and the five who had enough oil to keep their lamps burning so that they didn't miss the bridegroom when he appeared. And we are in a day where we cannot miss the reality of Jesus in our lives. We have to be driven to always watch for God. Our overwhelming desire must be to dwell. Dwell means to live, to abide, to dwell in lockstep with God because there is safety for our lives when we are dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. The second thing that we learn on this journey of not wanting to miss God is to be dressed and made ready. That doesn't mean having physical garments. That means being clothed in your mind and firmed up in your heart that you're going to obey the entirety of the word from Genesis to Revelation, not what's convenient or what's comfortable, but what causes me to be godly and holy. So what has God called of us to do? To be clothed in garments of righteousness always. The kingdom of God is not convenient, but it is certainly a kingdom of necessity. Because our obedience to God is tied to our inheritance in God. And it's the mechanics of the church that don't ensure that we receive the kingdom. It's the mechanics of routine that don't ensure we receive the kingdom, yet it is our daily choices that position us for the harvest of God's kingdom. So what does God require of us? 
and I had to learn, and I'm daily reminded that what God requires of me in this pursuit of keeping that which is in my lamp and oil that never, ever will run out, to not make excuses for my actions or for my life. For the sake of the kingdom, I have to let go of hindrances which find themselves as shackles preventing me from walking in the fullness of God's power. And at times, just as the children of Israel did, we can find ourselves circling the same mountain over and over and over again with no progress like I experienced in my life until we get to that place of surrendering unto God and allowing the lamp of the Lord to never go out in our hearts. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful unto you for the authority of our word. Would you continue to bring increase and maturity that we could be found faithful, God, on the day that you would appear. The Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. And I know that you are requiring much from the lives in here. May they be strong and courageous in pursuit of you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen.